Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Chalk Talk podcast. As always, great to talk to our good friend Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And Greg, we continue our division previews with the NFC Norris division, also known as the NFC North, for those of us who aren't Bermanized and don't remember the old uh, Berman Jackson shows from 20 years ago. I miss those, by the way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Shut up and move on. Okay. <laughs> blah 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 blah. Okay, so we're uh, we're going with the NFC North. The Green Bay Packers have had kind of a stranglehold on this division of late, but certainly some other interesting entrants. We start with the Chicago Bears. Certainly, the shin injury to Kevin White, which could cost him, you know, it's going to cost him six weeks because they're going to put him on pup, could cost him more, um, takes away one dimension of that passing game. You know, fast, explosive, physical guy. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey is coming back from his own injury situation. But I want to get into the, the coordinator quarterback relationship with Adam Gase, who comes from Denver. And a guy we've talked a lot about over the years, Jay Cutler. And, you know, my conclusion with Cutler is it's been 10 years. We sort of know what he is and know what he isn't and know what he isn't going to be. What are the characteristics of Gase's offense? I mean, and of course, it's Manning so in Denver, so that's part, partly Manning. But the specific characteristics of Adam Gase's offense and how that might help Cutler be more efficient. Well, that's a hard question to answer because Adam Gase was the quarterback coach, for instance, the year Mike McCoy was the offensive coordinator in Denver and they had Tim Tebow. So it's always hard when Peyton Manning is your quarterback. To me, Doug, the more pertinent question is is the John Fox question. Yeah. I think Foxy was brought in for a reason because this is a team whose defense had dropped dramatically. And we know the Foxy profile. Now, is it going to be able to be done this year exactly the way he wants to do it? Probably not because he starts with defense and the run game. And uh, I find it very interesting that they have Matt Forte, who's one of the best backs in the league. Uh, they drafted Dean Carey last year. They drafted Jeremy Langford this year, both fourth-round picks. So I think that this is going to be a run-first offense. I think they're going to limit Cutler. Now, the obvious question becomes, if this is a defense that can't hold up and they're forced to throw the ball, then it's a different scenario. But this is not going to be an offense, Doug, that starts with the passing game. Jay Cutler will now be managed. And I think he's played long enough where no matter how much arm talent we talk about each and every year, I think it's become pretty evident that Jay Cutler needs to be pretty tightly managed. Well, he does, and, and he still has the things we've discussed. He has this miraculous arm, and because of that, he's always been able to get away with uh, – how shall I put it generously, iffy mechanics. He's got that, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of fadeaway jumper off his back foot, which he's able to make work, but not consistently. And, you know, his mechanics just aren't solid enough to be one of those top guys. But let's, let's go to Forte, because this is a guy who had 130 targets and 102 catches last year, 95 targets and 74 the year before. I mean, he's, over the last two years, he's been sort of their high-volume receiver. Uh, do you see that changing at yep. all? Yeah, and, and Forte was a guy who throughout his career, as you know, has lined up in the slot. He can split out wide. 
you know, that may become, particularly if, if Kevin White uh, can't, and Kevin White, by the way, will have a fairly lengthy learning curve when he does get back, if he even plays this year, because of the offense in which he played in college. So Matt Forte may become a really featured part of their pass game, not just from the backfield. He may be a third down guy that lines up in the slot or splits wide. Uh, but ultimately, this offense will run through Forte and the run game, and that's that's the way John Fox wants to build it. That's the way he wants to play. And I think Forte is the most critical piece of their offensive puzzle. I'll tell you the one guy as a target who I think people are sleeping on, and they you know they got him this year is Eddie Royal. Uh, Sixty-two passes for seven hundred seventy-eight yards and yep. seven touchdowns last year. One of the best slot receivers in the league. Ideally, the plan was to have White and Jeffrey as your outside guys and Royal as your inside guy. But I did a lot of tape on Royal last year. He can play outside. He can. And, yeah. I, I, you know, let's talk about his attributes for a minute. It, it, you know, he's a, he's a good, you know, gets up to speed quickly, has a really nice route understanding. He's been in the league long enough and understands enough he can fool cornerbacks. He's a really good zone receiver. I mean, if you're trailing him and you stop in a zone, he's just going to back up a, you know, a yard and do that little curl and catch the ball every time. He's, he's one of those savvy guys we like to talk about. Yeah, I mean, he's been around quite, you know, well, maybe not as long. I mean, I, I, he's probably played at least six, seven years, I would think. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's been one of those guys. He's never been necessarily a big number guy. I think he probably had his best year in terms of numbers as a rookie, if memory serves me correctly. But he's a solid receiver. Um, he's not necessarily a burner, but every once in a while he gets over the top uh, just because he knows how to run routes and he has great short area quickness. But he's one of those savvy veterans. Now, like you said, in an ideal world, you don't want him to be your outside receiver all the time. And that's where training camp battles will ensue in, in Chicago because they're going to have to see if, you know, if a Marcus Wilson can finally play. If They don't seem to have a whole lot more uh, when you look at their roster. So uh, at this point, you know, that's sort of what they have. You're not on the Ify Omodu bandwagon? No, but it was nice of you just to pronounce it. That was very well done. Uh, I, I do what I can. Yeah, Marcus Wilson, I remember him from college, of course, um, being up here. Washington State, right, or Washington, yeah, one of those? Washington State, and he had some issues with the coaching staff. And uh, you know. And I always thought he had a chance. I mean, I thought he was talented. Uh, he's been given some opportunities, and it hasn't worked out up to this point, but it's always a change when there's a new coaching staff, so maybe he finally uh, can get some snaps and, and play it. What is Martellus Bennett at this point in his career? I think he's a tight end for the Bears. Boy, that's why we get you on this show. I know, isn't it? Isn't it? I awesome mean, that, you analysis. Know. Congratulations. You, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wise Hospital. Hospital, what's that? It's a big building with patients. You oh, know, just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, Don't call me Shirley. Right, exactly. Um, you know, Martellus Bennett is still a very talented tight end. He's got really good size. I think he still has good movement. I mean, in his years with the Bears, uh, we've seen him run vertical routes. We've seen him run crossing routes at intermediate levels. He's won, run wheel routes and been effective. I mean, I think he's, as a receiver, I think there's not really a route 
that he can't run. Um, you know, and he's not talked about necessarily the way that Jimmy Graham's are talked about, and I'm not saying he's exactly Jimmy Graham, but I think he's a pretty multidimensional tight end as far as being a receiver. Yeah. Um, it, how much is he – is he a slot flex guy too? It seems like they do that once in a while. But the thing about Martellus Bennett, and this was, was true in Dallas too, he's a great blocker. Yeah, no, he's, you know, he's one of those guys that's not talked about very much uh, when you talk about the really good tight ends in the league. But I think uh, he's he's close to that. You know, he may not be top two or three, but he's a pretty good player. Yes, they also have the delightfully named Bear Pasco. Just I wanted to say Bear Pasco too. Um, speaking of blocking the offensive line, I think the one guy here that we don't really question is Kyle Long. Came in and has been a stud pretty much the whole time. Uh, played left tackle at Oregon for a while. I think they could kick him out to right tackle if they wanted to, um, and they have some question marks there with Jordan Mills. But they, the potential inside Oregon duo of Kyle Long and Hironis Grasu, who they took in the draft this year, I think we, you know, Long, we know what he is, powerful guy, tremendous athlete. I think he has all the things you want in a guard. Uh, Will Montgomery is penciled in as the uh, the starter for now, but obviously they want Grassi to take that. What do you remember of him from your uh, pre-draft perusals? I liked Grassi. I thought he was a pretty complete center. Um, obviously, playing at Oregon, he uh, he was had good movement. Uh, you know, I didn't view him as as highly athletic, like oh my god, but he certainly had good movement. Um, I thought he was competitive, which you know I've learned over the years that for a lot of these inside linemen, competitiveness and battling is a is a very important trait. Uh, you know, the issue for them, I think, is. If they really want to run the ball, and particularly if they want to run it with power, if they want to do more gap scheme stuff, you know, Jermon Bushrod it was always a guy that was kind of an edge player, and, and I wouldn't call him, a, you know, a power tackle. No. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can sort of transition. I think Kyle Long has the ability to play in any system. Yeah. Um, you know, Jordan Mills is... I don't want to say he's a stopgap guy because I think he's probably exceeded expectations for a fifth-round pick. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how their offensive line can transition to an offense that, like I said, if, they, if they're if they able to play that way, they want to run the ball. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. If they run the ball more, I don't know how much it will matter that Bushrod has clearly declined, in my mind, as a pass protector. But right. that, that's the right. issue that... that has to be dealt with at some point. And they don't have great depth on their on their O-line. So, I mean, they've got guys who've been in the league, but I wouldn't say it's great depth. No, it's it's guys like Charles Leno and Vlad Dukas and Michael Ola, just, you know, kind of guys. Right, guys who've played, but, yeah. you know, again, you don't want to have to play them meaningful snaps. Okay, uh, we were going to do a 15-minute scouting report on Jimmy Clausen, but instead I think we're going to move to the Bears' defense, if that's okay with you. You know, when I watched their defense in the preseason, the first game, and again, it's preseason, so I'm not making any judgments. Um, you know, I'm wondering as if as time goes on, though, this defense is going to be a little better than people think. Because I look at some of the players, and this is not a terrible defense no. in terms of overall talent. No, not at all. Here's what I think. I think, and I don't, you know, I've never sat in a coaching room with Mel Tucker. I don't know Mel Tucker, but I know what I saw and it was a lot of reversion back to about 2005 when cover slash Tampa 2 ruled the universe. Correct. I think offenses could just schematically pick the Bears' defense apart. So you, you remove Mel Tucker, 
you bring in Vic Fangio. And, Who's really good. Oh, boy, is he good. I mean, when you consider all the injuries and all the crap with Alden Smith, he turned Chris Culliver into a $30 million superstar. He's done a lot of things for a lot of guys. Now, I think the first, the, the misnomer we have to deal with, and you always have to do this when, when you have quote-unquote 4-3 personnel moving to a quote-unquote 3-4 defense, and as we know, Greg, in today's NFL, it's never that simple. You're not, going, you're not going from Bud Carson to Bum Phillips. It's not base no. to base. So Vic Fangio, there is a little bit of two-gapping, but that's primarily sort of a one-gap. You know, it's a lot of 3-2-5 with a Leo. Um, it's a lot of one-gap penetration. So I, I think the first thing we need to deal with is, you know, well, they're trying to do, you know, 4-3 personnel and a 3-4. That's not really what this is. No, and, and the other thing, too, is, is if you look at the roster, okay, they'll end up playing, uh, I think, multiple concepts, uh, which Vic, you know, does and, and does very well, particularly in the secondary. But if you look at the roster with the front seven, they have a lot of depth. Now, we can sit here and debate the quality of the players, but they have a lot of players that have played meaningful snaps in this, in this league as starters. Uh, and including the rookie, Eddie Goldman, who obviously they drafted high in the second round. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Will Sutton was a third-round pick last year, played a lot of snaps last year. Ego Ferguson, second-round pick a year ago, played a lot of snaps. Jarvis Jenkins, who I really liked when he came out, I believe, Clemson, and Washington drafted him, and then he ripped up his knee. Yep. I always thought he was a very prototypical 3-4 type D-end. Absolutely. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of pieces here and a lot of depth, uh, you know, and I think this defense is going to end up being far better than people think. And when I say that, Doug, I don't mean they're going to be the best defense in the league or top three, but I mean, you know, even their secondary, Antrell Roll, a very good veteran acquisition. You know, Brock Vereen, who I liked coming out of Minnesota, and I think he can be a good safety. Good depth there with Ryan Mundy, you know. Uh, this is not a bad defense per Personnel-wise, right. Um, well, let's. One guy I wanted to mention, and it, it's uh, you know they got Pernell McPhee, little under forty million uh, for his contract. And you and I have been totally on uh, McPhee for a long time. Last year, really good uh, sack totals for Baltimore as sort of a multi-gap guy. I've heard talk that they might put him in that Ray McDonald role uh, on field only. Thank God, uh, as sort of the strong side linebacker and. It, because I don't remember, I mean, I, I'd have to go back and, like, the, the stuff Vic did in Carolina, I'd have to go back and, and look. But I, well, Ray McDonald was a, was a pure down lineman in right. San Francisco. And he did not really stand up hardly exactly, ever. Exactly. So it kind of it, it makes you wonder how they're going to use him. I mean, I wonder if they see McPhee as, as if Vic sees McPhee as an Ahmad Brooks. You know, kind of a multi-dimensional player who obviously is an outside linebacker in their base three-four. But then when they go to their sub package, you know, Brooks moved around, and that's what McPhee did very effectively in Baltimore. Uh, let's talk about Antrell Rolford. Can he be uh, to this defense what Antoine Bethea was uh, for the Niners' defense last year? The veteran safety who kind of comes out of nowhere and, and blows you away. I'm sure they see that. I mean, Bethea had an outstanding year last year. Um, 
Yeah, and, and Roll's always been a good player. I mean, you know, you can debate how good, but he's never really had bad years. I mean, he's a he's a solid veteran safety, and maybe in this defense with Vic, uh, he can now become much more of a, you know, a, a, like you say, the Antoine Bethea kind of year. Uh, you know, Bethea was is very good playing downhill. I think Roll's the same kind of player. So, yeah, I think that that's... Uh, that's pretty interesting. Roll, Roll could end up having a very good year in Chicago. In a general sense, what is, what is it about Vic's defenses that are so beneficial to uh, defensive backs? Boy, that's a hard question to answer. He, 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 he mixes things up without being complicated. Does that make sense? Yes. Greg, I live uh, in Seattle. Of course it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I mean, you, know, you see a lot of teams that do a lot of things, and you know that's that's all well and good, but the players have to execute a lot of things. Um, I think Vic mixes up things really nicely, but in a way that I would say, as as a tape watcher, that doesn't seem like it's difficult for the players to get. You know, it's it's a really interesting point, and I want to diverge here into philosophy, which we do once in a while. Um, I was watching the Panthers-Vikings game and just admiring Mike Zimmer's defense, as I often do, and I know we both I love Mike Zimmer's defense. Here's the thing. It's it's kind of that same way. It's not complicated. It's a lot of A-gap stuff, and, you know, he'll, he'll fake his linebackers back. But it occurred to me watching that game, something I already knew from, of course, watching the Seahawks defense be built over the last five years, is that when you don't overcomplicate it and everyone is, you know, fit in their assignment, you can just play so much faster yes. and so much more and, dynamically. And if you think about it, and we're speaking very generally, of course, because, you know, we don't have three hours to talk about defense and yeah. give seminar, but... If you think about it this way, when you think about pressure concepts, okay, what are you trying to do? You're trying to cause issues for pass protection, where it's difficult for the pass protectors to recognize and understand. That's what you're trying to do. In the secondary, you're trying to just make it difficult at times for the quarterback and the receivers to immediately pick up what they're seeing. Because as we know, all you need is, is, is a millisecond. So. If you think of it that way, as opposed to, oh, we have to have a hundred things that we do so we can, you know, really say we're coaching, you know, it's the general concepts of of what you're trying to get done are really not that complex. It's it's how you go about doing them. And I think Mike Zimmer, you brought up Mike Zimmer, um, and we're, you know, obviously he's in the same division. To me, he's so good at doing things that, to me, from watching tape, don't look complicated at all, but they're really hard for offenses to deal with. Yeah. It's like you know what's coming, but we run it so well, well, go ahead and try and stop us. But you're still creating conflict for for the offense. Yep. Uh, One guy I want to talk about, I I believe we discussed him in our pre-draft podcast on cornerbacks and safeties, is Adrian Amos. Yeah. Uh, who is now, he's working with the first team defense at safety and apparently is locked in a competition for the other th- safety spot with Brock Vereen and Ryan Mundy. Mundy was part of the underwhelming safety group last year. Again, don't know how much of that was scheme. Vereen, I remember when he came out, I almost saw him more as a slot corner. 
But he played well. Vereen and Amos played very similarly in college. Yeah. Because Amos played safety and slot corner, and actually, I believe went to Penn State as a true corner. So you're dealing with a kid who's about six two, two eighteen, with corner skills and safety skills, and is very and is athletic. So it would not surprise. I was actually surprised he was drafted in the fifth round. Again, I don't do drafts like that. You know, I don't put a round on a guy. But I thought he was a better prospect in a fifth round pick. Oh, I know how much you love to do mock drafts, Greg. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, I love them, and I do it for all seven rounds. <laughs> uh, of course you do. Um, so let's talk about Kyle Fuller before we move on to our next interview. I don't want to. Okay. You don't want to? All right. <laughs> uh, came out, had that big three-pick game, and sort of fell off. And I know the injuries were a concern. Uh, I thought he had the cleanest tape of any draft prospect in his position in the 2014 class. Um but what did you see from him going through that season? Last year as a rookie? Yeah. Uh, I think he's a solid player. I, I, Maybe I'm in the minority. I didn't quite see him as... as great as everybody talked about him. I mean, I think he's, you know, again, he just played one year, so he could improve dramatically and become great. But I think he's a solid NFL corner who can play both man and zone. Um, I'm not sure we're going to be talking about him as, you know, I don't want to mention like a Champ Daly Hall of Famer, you know. Um, but I'm not sure we're going to be talking about him at quite that level of corner. I'm not saying he can't get there. I, I don't see him on that road just yet. Do you think he could be like a Desmond Trufant that level? That's kind of who. Yeah, I, I mean, because I don't view Trufant as like a top two or three corner in the I don't league. Either, you know, but he's top yeah. ten, and if you have yeah. one top ten corner, you're still in pretty good shape. I yes, I think Fuller is, is can become that guy. Yes, but I mean, I don't think we're going to be d- discussing him. You know, in the Darrell Rivas, Richard Sherman, Patrick Peterson at, at that level of player. No, I don't think so either. Um, sorry, Kyle Fuller, but you know. And still be pretty good. And Greg didn't let you want to talk about you, so we got that much out of him. Moving on to the Lions of Detroit, and I think when I think what we have to do here is start with the run game. It was kind of a rotation thing, and if you watched Amir Abdullah in that first preseason game, and I know you did, I mean, well, if you watched him in college, yeah, of course. And Todd Bowles <laughs> was comparing him to Barry Sanders. I'm like, whoa, slow the boat there, Todd. But I do see elements of LaShawn McCoy in his play. I think he's more powerful than he might might think for an elusive guy. This, I mean, when you have a high volume passing game with like that and targets uh, in Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate already, and an offensive line that, that's coming up. You put a you know three hundred carry fourteen hundred yard running back in there. You add play action to the mix, and you've got something. Let's talk about Abdul. Yeah, and and you know it's funny because I'm asked about Abdul a lot because obviously he's short. He's not small. He's short. Um, and I think because of the nature of this offense with Joe Lombardi, with the Saints' influence, and the fact that that offense is not built necessarily in a run game, you know, a power run game. Uh, I think Abdullah can be a so-called feature back in this offense because I don't think he will be asked to carry the ball 300 times. I think in this offense, if it works the way Lombardi ultimately wants it to work with Matthew Stafford now in the second year in the offense, and ideally Eric Ebron becoming a much more of a factor, I would think that Abdullah would carry 240, 250 times in this offense, and I think he could do that. 
Now, it's kind of hard to tell when you're dealing with Nebraska's passing game because going from Nebraska's passing game to a Saints-style passing game is a little bit of a jump. But in that Saints passing game, they always like a guy who can be a satellite back, who can line up in the backfield, roll to the slot, create those linebacker mismatches. Uh, Do you think he can be that guy? I do, but I tell you who is a terrific receiver is Theo Riddick. Because uh-huh. Theo Riddick was oh, a yeah, wide no. receiver. Yeah, Notre Dame. He yeah. was a wide receiver when he went to Notre Dame yep. and became a back. And I think he's a very overlooked player in this offense. And again, we're not speaking, you know, we're not doing a fantasy show, so we're not sitting here worrying about how many catches he might have. But I think Theo Riddick is going to be a very intriguing part of this. You know, you mentioned what, what they did in, in, in New Orleans. I would see Theo Riddick being more of a Pierre Thomas as opposed to Amir Abdullah. Okay. I think Riddick would fit that role better. Okay. Interesting. Just my opinion. I, again, I'm not there every day in training camp, so I don't know what they're doing, but I think Riddick could be that guy. Well, and, and that's this becomes the benefit of having that rotation when you have the one feature guys. You can bring, you know, Joy Bellin for power situations. You have Theo Riddick for what we just talked about. Plus, they got Double Z, Zach Zenner, so there you go. And they still have Joyke Bell, who, right. you know, theoretically is this offense's Mark Ingram. I mean, I'm not saying he's the exact same runner, but I'm talking about stylistically. Uh, so I think they actually have a really good backfield situation, Doug. Yeah. Um, obviously, people were surprised when Golden Tate went from Seattle to Detroit and caught a lot more passes. Like, well, guess what? You're going from the team who throws the ball the least to the team who throws the ball the most. Calvin Johnson was hurt. Um, Tate had stats like a number one receiver. Do you yep. think he can be a number one receiver? And you know what I mean by that. Yeah, you know, and, and that's always a hard question because people put stats up. I mean, I, I think Golden Tate is is really good, better than I thought he'd be, to be honest. So I'll easily admit that. Um, he's a powerful kid. I think he runs better than I thought. I mean, not you know, he's not a four three guy, you know, he's not one of those, but but I think he's a little more explosive than than you think. And his body type, you know, sometimes makes it seem like he's not that guy because he's almost built like a running back. I really like Golden Tate, and and last year I thought he made some plays, you know, where he got behind the defense or he he ran away from the defense, and I I was really, I didn't think he could do that, you know, for 16 games, and he did. Yeah, I I am not going to compare him to this player because I think this player is a borderline Hall of Famer, but there are some Steve Smith elements to his play that I think were shown more in a higher-volume passing game. And I don't think that that's a ridiculous comparison. I mean, I love Steve Smith, as I know you do. Uh, but, I, again, as we always make comparisons, we're really talking stylistically. And, yes, Golden Tate is a tough, physical, hard-nosed receiver. I think in his prime, Steve Smith was a more explosive, dynamic athlete. Yeah. But Golden Tate is, is a little more explosive than I initially thought. Where is Calvin Johnson in your mind at this point in his career? That's hard to say because of injury. I mean, you know, he's well, not you old. You have to factor old. injury into it because guys yeah. tend to get more hurt as they go. I mean, yeah, I mean, if he's going to, you know, keep getting bumps and bruises, and you know, then it's hard to say. You know, he's not old, old. I mean, like, he came out in 2007, so you know, he's probably you know 30, 31 ish. You know, it's not like he's 35, 36. You know, I think uh, a truly healthy Calvin Johnson is still a factor because ultimately his size is is just. I mean, that's you know, he's six five, two thirty five. So 
even if he can't run by people, he was never a true burner, but that stride length and that size make him a vertical threat. Yeah. Um, I th- my, my sense is in this passing game with Lombardi, it's a lot more three to five step, and that places less of a burden on the offensive line. And, you know, Riley Reef, Manny Ramirez, guys like this. I think Larry Warford is the star of this line. But the- well, they're doing the same thing they did in New Orleans. What they want, Doug, is they want the inside guys, which is why they drafted Lakin Tomlinson yeah. in the first round. You know, Warford, as you mentioned, I think Travis Swanson is actually a pretty good center. Yeah. I mean, this is built on, you know, they're – Built on the inside guys, because say what you want about Stafford, he's six two and he has a tendency to throw sidearm. Mm-hmm. So now you have a six two quarterback throwing sidearm. You know, whereas he's he had Drew Brees, who's a six feet quarterback who gets up on his toes and throws over the top. So Brees throws taller than Matthew Stafford. Right. Yeah. Um, we we talked about Cutler a bit and the the mechanics that go back and forth. What are your thoughts about Stafford's mechanics at this point in his career? Because it's Matt, I mean, it works, but it's, and I'm, I'm not saying he's like at Cutler level meltdown, but there have been times when he has been, and is with certain quarterbacks, and I know his offensive coordinators have been asked about this and have been asked to sort of defend him. Um, is he going down that same road? Well, I would have to know Matthew Stafford way more than I do, because I think you could be taught this, but then it comes down to application on the field. And up to this point, all we can say is the application has not been consistent. I don't know how he's being taught, what he's being taught. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's him. But the application has not been there on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, on defense, I, I, you know, right now, I think the star of this defense is Terrell Austin. What he did in that back seven, especially with the secondary in his first year, I thought that was uh, maybe outside of Rod Marinelli, the best defensive coaching job I saw last year. Good point. Uh, you know, I actually think you know their linebackers are way better than people think. Well, the other I mean, we know that. Yeah, go ahead. We know about DeAndre Levy. You know, he's the guy everybody talks about. Um, I actually thought, and I talked to one of their defensive coaches at the combine, and I mentioned to hear Whitehead to him, and this is a guy who knows I watch tape, so you know, he knows I wasn't just throwing out a name. And he said, "Oh yeah, you noticed that? That guy's really good." And when Tullick got hurt, Whitehead became a three-down player. Yep. They still have Kyle Van Noy, who I really liked coming out of BYU. So you know, I think that this is this is a really solid front seven, like a. Really Really solid front seven. Yeah, I remember you talking about Whitehead a couple times when we did podcasts last year. Uh, yep. Mentioning him very highly. So, you take Ndamukong Sue out of that defense. You, you're obviously going to move a double team on every play somewhere else. Um, Haloti Nada is kind of a one- or two-year guy. I want to start by talking about Gabe Wright out of Auburn, who was drafted in the fourth round, who I actually like as a one-gap penetrator. He's not obviously at Sioux level. He would have been taken in the fourth round. But how do you picture this front four, and it is a front four, lining up in 2015? You mean as to conceptually or who's going to play? Conceptually. Well, I still think they'll have elements of that wide nine. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's still there. Um you know, and that means your inside players have to be really quick because they have to 
probably a lot of space. And, you know, a guy like Gabe Wright, you mentioned him, a fourth-round pick. I, I started watching him at Auburn. He was athletic. I didn't think he always played that way, uh, which is why he was a fourth-round pick, because ability-wise, if you just look at physical traits, he could have been drafted higher. But he didn't play that way all the time. Um, you know, Nada, at this point in his career, it's hard to say exactly what he is. The big question is who's going to play next to him. I've been reading a lot of reports about Reed, the Princeton kid, who supposedly had a great offseason and a really good training camp. So, you know, he's he's a little different build. You know, he's a, a 6'1", 305-pound guy, a little stumpier. So, uh, you know, I think they have a few questions next to Nada at the tackle. They have to work that out through camp. Well, I think they have a lot of questions because they, they lost Sue. They lost Fairley, who I know drove his coaches nuts a lot of the time. But the guy they lost that really hurt them depth-wise was C.J. Mosley, who came in when Fairley was yep. hurt and played at a really, I mean, a high level that nobody really saw coming. He's been, as a rotation defensive tackle in this league, a really, really good player that not many people know about because, you know, he plays 25 snaps a game. Uh, and wherever he's been, he's been a really good rotation tackle. Yep. Uh, Green Bay Packers, I think the big news, I mean, it's, it's you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It's a Ted Thompson team. You're not going to make a lot of drastic changes. But, and I, I know you know people in the organization. I'm not asking you to spill beans. But in a general sense, when a head coach who is an offensive, I don't think mastermind, look, an offensive conceptualist, the head coach is, and all of a yeah. sudden, he stops calling the plays for whatever reason, whether it was the, the stuff in the Seattle game or whatever it was. How much, I mean, is that really that big a change? Like, if, Well, if, I'll tell you why I don't think it's a big deal in yeah. this case. Because this is a team that they're not a speed-tempo team per se, but they do a lot of no-huddle. And I think the change was made because Aaron Rodgers is clearly at the point in his career where he can run the show at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't think of Rodgers like that because he's so physically gifted, you know, so we don't think of him like Peyton Manning or Philip Rivers or Tom Brady because Rodgers is, is, is a freak thrower. But Rodgers is at that point in his career where I think Mike McCarthy feels very comfortable with Aaron pretty much doing, let's say, what Philip Rivers does. Well, I don't know who doesn't think of him that way, but I do. I mean, you can't Yeah, run but him. I mean, because he's so, you know, you know, when people talk about the Peytons and, and the, you know, often Rivers, guys like that, they talk about how smart and cerebral they are. When people tend to talk about Rodgers, they talk about his physical gifts first. Uh, but And again, I, I'm just saying what I, my sense when I talk to people. Uh, but I think Rodgers is clearly at the point where he can run the show at the line of scrimmage. And I think Mike McCarthy feels that, you know, if they're going to do more of that with a lot of no huddle and three wide, that... Aaron Rodgers can handle that without a problem. He can call plays. He can make checks. He can change protections. That McCarthy doesn't need to do that for him at this point. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Greg. Aaron Rodgers, he's pretty good. Yeah, I think he is pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, in this offense, I mean, we don't need to spend a lot of time. on it. We know it, the offense is not going to be substantially different. I mean, there's a tweak here and a tweak there. We won't know exactly what they are. But, you know, this, they have the same top three wideouts. They, you know, the big question is, can Richard Rodgers become more of a Jermichael Finley-type tight end in this offense? And, and that remains to be seen. Well, They've just got to the break th- in there, I don't think he can become Jermichael Finley athletically, but I think he can be more productive. 
Yes, yes. Um, you know, they've got the same back. They've, you know, they, the O-line is, is exactly the same, and I thought that Kid Lindley played tremendously at center last year oh, for a fifth-round pick. Yeah. You, <laughs> your your uh, first NFL game is at Seattle, and you hold up well. Well, two things about the offense. I mean, we talked about Rodgers, who um, – you know, I think will be a major – and Mike McCoy has said recently that, you know, he's our guy, and there we go. Um, this is – and it's the same line for the second year in a row, which, you know, barring injury, you love that continuity. Probably the best line Rodgers has had in his whole career. And then you bring in the factor of Lacey, and he – so now it's Aaron Rodgers with a really good offensive line in a running game. And you're like, Whoa. You know, and it's funny. You, you start off asking about McCarthy giving up the play calling. I can see plays in my mind's eye from last year where Rodgers changed the play at the line of scrimmage and to runs, mm-hmm. or, he, or he checked from the right to the left based on the defensive front. You know, and I think they feel very comfortable with all that. You know, Rodgers can do that as well as anybody, and – and, and that's why it's not going to be a big issue as far as Mike McCarthy's concerned. So uh, I'll add in Devontae Adams, who I think can be more of a factor. Jeff Janis, who I like coming out of college. Offensively, they're dialed in. Defensively, they're dialed in. different story. Um, you know, you got Clay Matthews moving from outside to inside, which was kind of an interesting experiment. Um, I love Mike Daniels. Uh, you know, but a lot of shakeup in that secondary, and I know Dom Capers has been under fire. I mean, I don't know how much of that is scheme and, per- or, and personnel, but this defense, I mean, let's start with the front. You know, you got B.J. Raji on kind of a one-year deal. I think Daniels is a stud here, and they got a guy in Christian Ringo who they project as another Mike Daniels and I think could actually be. Other than that, in that front and outside of Matthews and Peppers is that situational guy, I think they've got some work to do. Yeah, I think they've got some questions. I mean, Dayton Jones, uh, is, he, is he suspended? Mm, I'll look that up while you're talking. I'm not sure, but, you know, he's a guy who, uh, you know, I really liked coming out of UCLA, and he hasn't quite lived up to that. Uh, but he certainly has physical tools. I think he's a guy they're waiting to become a force on the D-line, and he hasn't quite become a force. Uh, one game suspension for a marijuana offense. So ah. not a big deal. But, no, he is so. not – He is not. I mean, I know you and I both really liked him coming out of UCLA, and so far it's been a question mark. Um, yeah, and I think they're – you know, when you draft players, particularly, let's say, top three rounds, at some point they have to play, and, and that's what happens with teams. You know, it's and, – and then people say, oh, they don't have any players. Well, Dayton Jones is a perfect example of a guy drafted in the first round, and now he's got to play, you know, 50, 60 snaps the game and become a good player. Now, does he have to become, you know, the uh, top three guy? No, but he's got to become a good player. Well, you got Nick Perry, you know, first-round pick. Hasn't there you go. been that guy. You start to, you know, B.J. Raji was a first-round pick, was good for a while. You know, he's had his injury issues. He's not quite as effective. You start stacking up those first-round picks who don't perform. You and, got an issue. Unless you're John Schneider who can get, you know, future Hall of Famers in the fifth round, you got an issue. Right. And the issues to me start from the inside linebacker group to the back. Um, Morgan Burnett still a good. I don't think safety wise they're cool. Morgan Burnett, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, I think will be outstanding. He, you know, he'll he'll get the recognition stuff down. That was a bit of a problem his rookie year, but you know, I think he's great. 
Um, you know, Casey Hayward and Sam Shields. I mean, Hayward, Hayward to me is a good inside guy. And Sam Shields, I mean, you talk about recognition issues. He can just get killed on, on quick end stuff. And I don't know how well their pass defense is going to hold up. Yeah, and they drafted Demarius Randall, uh, who played essentially safety at ASU and, and did play in the slot, and they're making him an outside corner, as I understand it. Uh-huh. So uh, I think he's got the physical skill set to do that, but he's he's a work in progress. He's a wait and see. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wait and see in that defense. Yeah. Which is... Um, so let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. So uh, to finish out this division, the Minnesota Vikings, kind of the chic pick to... Uh, to rise up, and we start. I really, I like their defense. I oh, mean, we boy. talked a little about Zimmer. I, I'm really intrigued by their defense. Why? Well, let's uh, okay. Let's let's go in reverse then. What the hell? It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Let's start with the defense. And I know. I mean, Linval Joseph is a guy I like a lot. I know you were you were higher on Sharif Floyd than I was. Um, I'll tell you who really impressed me. I was doing an all underrated team. And I was looking at Tom Johnson's pressure numbers, the veteran defensive tackle, and I was watching yeah, he, him as a situational guy. And boy, that dude can bring it. He is—he's sort of like uh, their version of C.J. Mosley. When yeah. he plays, he plays well. Exactly. I mean, he is. Yeah, he's a—he's uh, a good rotational <laughs> D tackle. Um, I've been a big fan of Everson Griffin for three. You know, obviously when Jared Allen was there, Griffin was more of a rotational player. Uh-huh. Last year, he was a full-time player, and I thought he played extremely. Extremely well. He he welcomed uh, Donovan Smith to the NFL in the first preseason game the other night when he did a spin move oh, that, that, that Donovan was, Smith didn't even touch him. That was sick. That was an absolute. Did you see it? Yep, I did. It was like Dwight Freeney but bigger. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. I mean, Smith didn't touch him. That yeah. was his welcome to the NFL moment for the yeah. rookie left tackle. Yeah, I guess this is not the SEC, dude. It's uh, it's different here. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's so. I mean, player. and then R- Robeson to me is a real solid lefty. Defensive end with some pass rush skill. I think their front four is very good. Um, I, I tell you, a guy who's as of now is starting at middle linebacker, and and I don't know what he's going to do. It's Audie Cole from North Carolina State. Yeah. And I may be out of my mind, and believe me, I've been called a lot worse, Doug, as you know. Um, He was drafted in the seventh round. When he came out, I, I believe he came out the same year as Dante Hightower. Yeah, I think so. I didn't think there was a huge difference in film between those two players. Now, Hightower's turned out to be a very good pro. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Dante Hightower, who's become a really good pro in Bill Belichick's defense in New England. But I liked Paulie Cole, and I'm really anxious to see this year. I think he's going to get the first shot to be the the middle linebacker in their base 4-3. Well, I mean, I haven't seen as much of Cole so let me ask you this. I mean, Hightower is a guy, they don't ask him to do what he can't do. He's more of, he's more of the two-down two thumper. And obviously Bill Belichick's maybe the best in the league at, at maximizing a guy's strengths and, and minimizing a guy's limitations. Right, and they have, uh, they're gonna, they have Mayo back. They you know, found a rock star in Jamie Collins who is potentially right. as good a cover 4-3 linebacker as you're going to find. So Hightower plays, you know, is used to his strength. So, but I'm talking about just physical traits. You know, I think Audie Call can be a starting uh, 
Mike Linebacker in the NFL and be a solid player. I'm not, you know, we're not. I'm not putting up in you know him in the Dick Butkus class here. You know, I'm not suggesting he's Mike Singletary, but I think he can be a quality starting middle linebacker in a four-three. Now I know in Zimmer's defense, his linebackers are asked to do a lot more. They have to drop. They have to be in their zones. They have to be in their places. What have you seen from him as far as that goes? I think he's, you know, he's a big kid. I don't, I don't know if you know much about him. I mean, he's a I big don't. kid. He's, I think he's a plus athlete, not a great athlete, but a plus athlete. Uh, I, I've always liked him ever since I watched him in North Carolina State. And he was another guy I was surprised got drafted where he did because I thought that his college tape warranted better. So where do they put Eric Kendricks, who they took in the second round? Well, I don't think he's a he's a Mike linebacker in a four three. Right. I mean, he's less than two hundred thirty pounds. So I, I think ultimately is is Eric Kendricks the guy who theoretically replaces down the road Chad Greenway? Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder how far away that road is because I don't know about you, but I've not been impressed with Greenway's play over the last couple of years. Well, I got to tell you, I think Gerald Hodges has a chance too. Yeah, I mean, does. I think Gerald Hodges is a really athletic kid. I mean, look, I know a lot of people love Derek Kendricks. I I can't remember how you felt about him. I thought, you know, it, prototypical middle linebacker. You just you plug him in, and to me, I would put him inside. Because in today's NFL, Mike backers can be smaller. And by smaller, I mean less weight. Well, you you know, in a lot of defenses, and Zimmer has a lot of this as well, is um, weak side backers are stacked backers as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just, I remember having this conversation years ago with Mike Smith, who, you know, was a a 4-3 guy, and he basically talked about how the middle linebacker and the weak linebacker are both stacked players, so their responsibilities are somewhat similar. You know, so, but I, I really, like, I think Gerald Hodges is a more explosive athlete than Eric Hendricks. And, and again, go ahead. I'm not saying he's a better player. I don't know that yet, but I think he's a more explosive athlete. And the thing about Minnesota, this is uh, Pro Football Focus's numbers. I don't know if I know you guys chart stuff too. They played five or more defensive backs 62% of the time. Uh, shows you how much people are playing nickel that ranked 17th in the NFL. But one of the reasons I think your quote unquote Mike backer can and often should be smaller is because a lot of times he's on a Mike backer, he's a half field defender. And that right. brings up a whole different thing. And I think that's where Kendricks could move in. So, right. and, so Anthony Barr, I mean, he it, it, he was kind of tied to Khalil Mack. And, I, you know, you saw some things from him that were really exceptional. How do you project him going into season two? Well, I think they'll use him similar to the way they used him last year. That he'll he'll start at outside linebacker, probably on the strong side. You know, however they map that out, and then he'll be a pass rusher. Um, you know, and and you know, I think Everson Griffin can line up at deep tackle as a pass rusher in, in a sub package and a nickel, and Barr will be an outside pass rusher. I think that's ultimately that's what you want Barr to be. I, I think that's why you draft Anthony Barr where you draft him because you see him becoming a really good pass rusher. So, do you think? I mean, if they've got their their if they're calling Barr a linebacker and they've got four defensive linemen and they've got three linebackers. Would they put Barr as the fifth guy on the line, per se, as opposed to moving into nickel? Or how do they do that? 
Well, last year they used him both as a DN with his hand on the ground, and they also used him, you know, as one of their two linebackers when they went nickel. Because I can picture him, I see him as an A-gap defender. I mean, they used him in that area. So I think they see Barr as you know, kind of a multi-dimensional player uh, because he's very athletic. I mean, he went there as a running back. Um, you know, Gerald Hodges, he went to Penn State as a safety. So they've got a lot of athletic guys that I think can be used in a variety of ways, particularly in sub-packages. So the idea in the secondary is that Trey Waynes, who, I mean, come on, guys, this is his first preseason game. Yeah, he didn't look good. Yeah, he looks lost now. I mean, I, you know, and that's, you know, I don't overreact to that. All I do is say is, is talk about what the tape shows. Right now he looks, to me, he's playing without any mental discipline. Yep. So, again, I don't know the kid. I don't know. I guarantee he's being coached because you and I both know Mike Zimmer. So it's not a matter of, of being coached, but he's not getting it yet. He's, he's, he's playing with no mental discipline and recognition. Yeah. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, you know, if Trey Wayne plays it out, they got Harrison Smith, that free safety. Like, I think Xavier Rhodes, talking about this division, he's a better corner than, than Kyle Fuller. Oh, okay. In my opinion. Interesting. Um, well, I, I, I think it depends entirely on scheme. Um, I think Rhodes, is, Rhodes, Rhodes, to me, is built like a safety and plays. He's very, very aggressive. Yeah. Um, I think if you he want... Can- if you want more of a fluid zone man hybrid guy, you're going to want Fuller. If you want, you know, if you want to play more pressed man, which I think Zimmer would like to do, yeah, um, then Rhodes is your guy, of course. But when we talk yeah. about you know better, I don't know because to me they're so different. But that's just me. Good point. That's a good point. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> So let's talk about that Minnesota offense to conclude. Uh, Teddy, one Theodore Bridgewater, who, uh, ha, 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 I put his number one in our SI64. I don't care about his skinny ankles or his stupid pro day. I thought he was great. Uh, the only And I think he's a really solid, savvy player. Yep. I think he's a, he's a really – he'll be an efficient player. I see Teddy Bridgewater as a very efficient player. Now, I think the, the, the typical idea of the North Turner offense is that it relies a lot on the deep ball. And Bridgewater, in his rookie year, in my mind, was good to about 25 yards, and then it got a little variable. And we've, we, you and I have talked about how guys like Brady and Breeze got in NFL weight rooms and their arm strength built up, and maybe that'll happen to him. But I don't know if it will because of the way he throws it. Yeah. He, he, he play puts it flat on his palm so I don't think his arm strength will change because it's a function of how he throws and I'm a believer you can't change the way a guy throws a ball and and I don't think you want to change how he throws a ball so he's never going to be a drive thrower he does not have a bad arm I mean you know but he's not a, he's not a drive the ball kind of thrower but he knows where to throw it he has a good sense of anticipation he has a good sense of recognition as I said I think he's going to be a very, very efficient player. And I'll tell you, for a guy who's 6'2", 214, didn't, I mean, and kind of looks smaller on tape. I don't think he's 214, they can say that, but yeah. that's, you know. Um, I was really impressed, especially in the Arizona game, um, with how well he deals with pressure. You can get him from the side, you can get him in his face, and yeah, he'll, you know, sometimes there'll be mistakes, but... And I, I, I did a piece on Ryan Fitzpatrick this week, and Fitzpatrick doesn't do this, and it's one of the reasons he's had problems through his career, 
it's the importance of maintaining as much as possible the integrity of your mechanics under pressure. I think Bridgewater does that, and for a first-year NFL quarterback, I think that's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I like him. I mean, you know, I don't. I think that he sort of is is in a sense what he is. I mean, I think. You know, getting Adrian Peterson and having a run game because at the end of the day, Norv does want to start with the run game. Yep. So I, I think that's only going to help Teddy Bridgewater. And I think that uh, th- there's no problem with Teddy Bridgewater. In my view, he'll have a very solid, consistent season. We don't really know what to say about Adrian Peterson, do we? He's been. I think he'll be okay. I yeah. think he'll be fine. Um, so let's talk about that offensive line. Uh, oh boy, Matt Khalil. Not a good year. <laughs> Brandon Fusco, John Sullivan, you know, they got Tyrus Thompson. Here's the interesting, here's the one I want to talk about. And it, it, terrible news for Phil Lodeholt. Gets his, tears his Achilles in the preseason opener, and he's gone for the season. But now they have to put T.J. Clemmings at right tackle. Yeah, they brought in a Washington this week. And, boy, that's intriguing. Uh, just real quick, uh, Clemmings' backstory, if you don't know, again, you're listening, uh, played defensive line his first three years at Pitt kicked a right tackle in, in 2013. I've compared him to Tyron Smith, not in talent, but in opportunity. Tyron Smith came out of USC when he was 20. He started at right tackle. He had to sort of learn the NFL game. But you saw these plays where, I mean, I think maybe might have the most pure upside athleticism of any tackle in his draft class. Uh, I didn't see it quite that way, but he is more athletic than not. Um, You know, I think he's still learning, and I think he'll struggle early on because I thought even in college he didn't always play to his athleticism because he was learning, and now in the NFL it'll just be exacerbated because the quality of play that he's going against will be better. Uh, But I think right now they probably see him – they're starting right tackle. I mean, they also drafted the Oklahoma kid, Tyrus Thompson, yeah. who played tackle in college, who I think they've worked a bit at guard, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, theoretically, they've got three rookies who they all drafted, who someone, one of the three will start at right tackle, Clemmings, Tyrus Thompson, or Austin Shepard from Alabama. So one of those three is likely to be the right tackle. What's the problem with Khalil? You know, that's a really great question because he's one of those guys, you know, he's one of those guys that everybody talks about as being big and athletic and doesn't play like he's big. He didn't last year. He's had good years in this league, obviously. You know, his first couple of years were pretty darn good. But last year, he just did not look like the same guy. And I can't tell you why. Um, you know, I think he's he's going to have to play significantly better this year. Well, I think there are tackles who are better uh, not giving up stuff to the outside and other tackles who are not, you know, better at not giving stuff up on the inside. And then you have your Joe Thomases of of the world who are good at both. And it was kind of like when I was watching Justin Britt in the preseason opener, it reminded me that he's got issues on both sides. I think Khalil has issues on both sides. When you have issues on both sides, and I don't know Matt Khalil, I'm sort of guesstimating here, I think the issues may go beyond physical technique. I think maybe it could. you know injury issues and, and whatnot. You get in a hole you can't you know pull yourself out of, and I don't. Know. I mean, he's a big kid. He's a good athlete. You know, he should be a good NFL left tackle. Yep. Uh, so one, one guy I want to ask you about in this offense before we get to receivers, real quick, and then we'll conclude. And with the Vikings receivers, you can go pretty quickly. Well, I'll um, tell you who I really like. 
I don't know who you're going to answer me about, but I really like Charles Johnson. I do too. But I want to ask you about Jarek McKinnon. If if Adrian Peterson is the starting running back and Matt Asiad is kind of the second guy, do you think they might use – I mean, is, does North have a history of kind of satellite players? Because I think McKinnon, and watching his Georgia Southern tape, thought the same thing. He was kind of a multi-position guy. I mean, could he be a slot guy? Could he be kind of a wild card? Because well, I think I don't think Peterson's going to be on the field in any of their multiple wide receivers. I mean, unless it's you know normal down and distance first and ten, yeah. and they go three wide. But I think when it's you know third and seven or third and nine, and he puts in the so you know that that package, I think Jared McKinnon's going to be in the game because Peterson won't be in the game. Uh, you know, Asiata has proven to be actually be a pretty solid receiver, but he certainly doesn't have the explosion that McKinnon has. I think McKinnon's going to get snaps here. I mean, in some ways, and again, I'm just talking about usage, not the exact player. I think McKinnon is like a Reggie Bush to them. Could you know, I, I think he could be that kind of player for them. Yep, I think he's an ideal satellite guy. So let's talk about Charles Johnson because I like him too. What do you see? Well, I think uh, I think he's big. I think he's physical. Uh, I think he catches the ball well. Um, you know, to me, in this offense where, you know, he's had – Norm's always had big X receivers, okay? Uh-huh. Going back to Michael Irvin for a number of years, uh, was it, it was Michael Westbrook in Washington. He's always had big X receivers, and I think Charles Johnson fits that really well. They don't necessarily have to be true burners, although there were plays last year where he got on top of the secondary. I just think he fits a North Carolina our offense really well. In my view, he's going to catch more balls than Mike Wallace. Norv was there when Vincent Jackson was in San Diego, right? That is correct. Kind of Another same, guy. Kind of that same yeah. prototype. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. How do you think Mike, because Mike Wallace gets you know maligned a lot, did have a good season in Miami last year. How does he fit that offense? Well, he's a speed guy. I mean, Again, we're not doing fantasy, so it's not a matter of number of catches, but you can make the argument that it's, you know, Charles Johnson is the Michael Irvin and Mike Wallace is the Alvin Harper. I mean, that's, you know, Mike Wallace is is a speed guy, and he can still run, but I don't think, and again, I don't know what routes they're going to ask him to run. Bridgewater, Bridgewater is a big checkdown guy. Obviously, Wallace is not catching those balls. So, you know, again, they'll take their shots and they'll call specific plays for Wallace. But I don't see Mike Wallace as a guy who's catching 80 balls in this offense. Yeah, probably not. Uh, where do you stand on Cordero Patterson? Because <laughs> I don't know what to think anymore. I'm not sure they do either because they're playing Jarius Wright in the slot, and he was actually a very effective slot guy last year. Um, I think Stephon Diggs, who from what I understand is having a a nice training camp, a fifth-round pick out of Maryland, who I think is very talented. you know, he's also a kick returner and a punt returner. Uh, Patterson's an interesting player. You're going to find out. Uh, we don't know yet. We're going to find out over these next number of preseason games, depending on his usage. Uh, the other player who I think could become a factor if he can stay healthy, and that's an if based on his career. But I think with Teddy as quarterback, Kyle Rudolph, if healthy, becomes a major part of this offense. Yeah, I was just going to. I was going to conclude our podcast, Mr. Cosell, by talking about tight ends, and I want to throw out a name, and I'm just. He was turning heads at camp. I liked him. It just the little tape I saw is Michael Pruitt. Yeah. Yeah, I watched him. Um, he's an athletic kid, primarily lined up in the slot in college. 
occasionally on the line of scrimmage, but mostly in the slot. Uh, plus athlete, runs well. Um, he has a chance as a receiving tight end. I think if he had been at a bigger school, he might have been talked about as a, a low second-round prospect. You might be right. I also thought when he did line up inside on the line of scrimmage, he showed the willingness to block, and I think he has uh, potential there down the road. Well, he's 6'2", 251. I mean, you, when you say receiving right. tight end, people automatically assume he's 6'7", like Jimmy Graham. He's, you know, he's an, you know, like an H-back potential guy, and he will block. He's a little stubbier than you might like a guy to be. But I think in those open space routes, like if you have a three-by-one, and you have him as the inside third guy, and he's got a slot corner to deal with, well, he's just going to push that guy around and catch the ball. Yeah, no, he's, he's a very intriguing draft choice because, uh, you know, a lot of two tight end sets these days, and he is a good receiver. I mean, he, he has a chance. But I think Rudolph, if he can stay healthy, I think with Teddy as quarterback, Rudolph can really finally become a factor. Yep. That's, uh, boy, that's, that's a team to watch and certainly a division to watch. And, Greg, as always, we appreciate your time and your wisdom on this football stuff, and we'll talk to you again soon. Doug, always a pleasure. Thanks.